0: Welcome to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder
1: and president of People G2. Chris Dyer. Hey Chris. Good afternoon and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case you're tuning in for the first time, welcome and want to let you know the Talent Talk Radio Show features a wide range of guests who care about talent and are uniquely talented themselves. On this show, we talk about talent in those two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we also talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully that makes sense uh, and how we use that talent, kind of having the two different meetings there. And this show really looks to explore those two meanings in the business world. My guests include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, and other great talents from all different industries. When I'm out at networking events and industry conferences, I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time. So I created this forum to allow you to listen on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you who are tuning in live. But don't forget, you can submit your questions to my guests via Twitter. Just tweet uh, your questions to peopleg 2 and use the hashtag talenttalk. My producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions and we'll try to work them into the show. Don't forget, you can also uh, listen... Uh, to our show on a podcast on iTunes and Android, as well as subscribe to have uh, that show sent to you uh, here at the past shows. I think this week we've already surpassed the 14,000 uh, listener mark for our podcast feed, so we appreciate those of you who are tuning in in the car or on the treadmill or wherever else you're picking this up. With that said, let's get to today's show started. My guests today are Susan Strayer-Lamont, founder of ExactoWEO, excuse me, I've been practicing all day, and I went and screwed it up, but right? that's how it works. ExactoWheel, and John Hall, CEO of Influence & Company, who I met at the Inc. 5000 conference a few months back. John will be joining me in the second half of the show. So uh, let's welcome in our first guest. Susan, welcome to the show, and thank you for being here.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: So tell us a little about yourself and your company, ExactoWeo.
2: Sure. So I'm the founder and principal consultant of Exaquio, and it comes from a Latin word. It's a strange name, which is why it's hard to pronounce, but it comes from the Latin word exaquio, which means on equal footing. And we are a workforce consultancy, and we build and develop cultures, employer brands, and talent strategies primarily for uh, startup and high growth companies. And our, our mentality is essentially that every company comes to the talent market. Um, at the same place, on equal footing, if you will. And our job is to help companies figure out their unique DNA from a culture perspective and then build employer brands around that DNA so you can really understand the true workforce experience and employment experience and then develop and build talent strategies that deliver on that brand and, and culture. We're based out of Washington, D.C. I'm originally from, from Philadelphia, um, but uh, my husband's a Southerner, so we were regularly debating the, the Civil War, if you will.
1: <laughs> so you had a career that, you know, placed you in several corporate HR settings like Home Depot and Marriott, Ritz-Carlton. What is it that led you to start your own business?
2: You know, I'm actually a two-time entrepreneur. Um, I had a business in the early 2000s. And what I decided to do when I was running that business, I realized I could, you know, I was a communications and PR major when I was in college. And I realized that I could barely um, read a balance sheet. And so in 2005, I actually went back to get my MBA. I was a little bit older at the time than the average daytime MBA student. But I took the luxury of taking some time off, being a full-time student, And when I came out of B-School, I was sort of lured back into corporate America. I initially thought, hey, I'll use B-School as a way to restart the business, and spent five years with Marriott and Ritz-Carlton. And and while there, I was able to pioneer a number of things on the social recruiting front, front, the employer brand front, and talent strategy. And I realized as I was going around and talking to my peers, there were just so many things that that most organizations didn't have the time or luxury to focus on, and they were really the core of success when it comes to talent. Um, things like culture, things like brand, and really providing that true insight. And when I married that with my passion and understanding of consumer marketing, I realized that there was this really cool lens that was missing in the market to be able to take consumer marketing practices and apply them to HR. So when I finished my fifth year um, with Marriott and Ritz-Carlton, realized that the employer brand function I was leading was at a really good point um, to, to sort of stabilize and pass off to some others looking for those opportunities. And at that point, started Execuio with the idea that we could fill this gap in the market and help not only um, businesses that were growing better understand culture, brand, and talent, but help them apply these consumer marketing techniques and build healthy companies from the beginning rather than waiting until they were sort of at that maturity stage to address some of those health issues, if you
1: will. Mm -hmm. So you started um, Exequio in the midst of the recession, and Even though by 2011, things were probably looking better, it was still a difficult time for many businesses. So I'm wondering, as an entrepreneur starting a business at that time, what was the biggest challenge that you had to overcome?
2: I think for most HR professionals, whether you're inside an organization or you're a vendor or consultant, you'll say the same thing. And that's essentially getting people to invest in people and in human capital. And one of the first, you know, certainly functions to be cut is employer brand, is HR, when you're thinking about cutting dollars. Now, that said, we're based in D.C. um, And D.C. didn't experience the recession the rest of the country did until much later, until um, the recent sequestration and the shutdown of government. So there were a number of people here in this local market who were still passionate about putting a focus into employer brands. That certainly helped. But the other piece is when you have, when you work with startup and high-growth companies, um, once you get the attention of the importance of some of these things, you're able to secure funding that already exists. So, you know, startups were still getting funded. There was still investment happening even in the midst of the recession. And they knew when they got this investment, whether it's Series A, Series B dollars, that they had a mandate to grow, and they needed to do do that quickly. And, you know, the, the way that we overcame that challenge in terms of getting them to focus on it and spend money was to help them figure out how to save money. A lot of really small companies start out by saying, you know, I'm going to hire an agency for my first couple of hires, and that 20%, you know, average 20% fee is um, quite a bit of money. And so what we aim to do is help them rethink that talent strategy. It's not that they shouldn't be using agencies. Agencies have a, play a great role. It's figuring out from day one what's the best way to spend your money when it comes to talent so that you're not wasting it on people who aren't a culture fit or who come into the startup or a high-growth company and say, whoa, this environment isn't for me.
1: So as your company you know, helps other companies figure out what talent is right for them, what are a few of the maybe the most important factors for you to identify within a, com- within a company to really begin that process?
2: So every engagement that we do is customized. Um, we, we don't have productization. We don't believe in off-the-shelf because every company is different. Um, but what we do have is a unique process that we follow, and it's called the 4C, so number four, letter C. Um, and, and sort of the metaphor there is S E E being able to foresee the future. So we use the 4C process. And the very first thing that we do is we identify the culture of the organization. So that's the first C, And we do that by interviewing every single member of the leadership team and look for alignment among how they describe the culture. Then what we do, our second C is is clarity. We go out to the workforce and we seek clarity. We find out through a number of qualitative research techniques, do they agree that the culture is what leaders say it is? Um, Where are the gaps? Where are the strengths? Where are the areas of opportunity? And then the third C is comprehension. We come back to the leadership team, and we always work directly with the CEO um, and with the C-suite because this is the kind of work that has to deeply involve them. So that third C, comprehension, we come back and say, here's what we found. Um, Here's the results of the research. Here's what you need to know about what you think and perceive your culture to be and how it actually is. And then the fourth C is cultivation. And so we finish off the process by saying, let us help you cultivate some strategies around that. And I'll give you a specific example. We had one particular company we were working with where the founders and the leadership team had a sense that their culture was all about change. But when we talked to them, they said, we think the the challenge with the culture is we're hiring people who aren't comfortable with change. And so when we went through the 4C process, we realized and helped them to comprehend that the issue wasn't they weren't hiring people comfortable with change. It was really around communication and empathy. So for example, they had salespeople that were selling something, were comfortable when the company had to change or pivot um, and sell the product or develop the product in a new way, but they were frustrated, not with the change, but with the fact that leaders didn't emphasize or understand the role that they played in that pivot. You know, these sales folks had to go back to the clients they just sold to and say, hey, we know we sold you this product last year and you were really excited about it. Our company is now pivoting and we can't do that anymore. So we uncover these issues that we can then cultivate across a number of, of different strategies, right? It helped help them to assess essentially not only how to make sure they hired the right people, um, in continuing to look for people that were comfortable with change and adjusting the hiring process to do that. But also making sure that they paid attention to their communication process and when they pivoted, they paid attention to performance management, workforce management, and how it affected their employees. So that's the, the process that we follow um, and and those important factors um, to make sure that companies have that right talent across the board.
1: All right. So part of the process of what your company is providing is really helping them manage the the talent that they have and and really help them kind of continue to procure that. So I'm wondering, are, do you do you ever see kind of some pretty typical things that companies are are doing very poorly? When they're having a hard time managing their talent or keeping their talent, that you know, are kind of that the regular red flags so the things that you kind of consistently see companies doing when they're doing a bad job in dealing with their talent.
2: Yeah, sure. There's there's two things that we see on a regular basis. The first is with some of the smaller startup organizations that we work with, those that have venture capital funding, growing really fast. Maybe they're, they're tech companies based around software products. One of the big mistakes they make is they lean on um, those other founders and CEOs that are in their network to direct their talent strategy and their human capital strategy. So they might put a great deal of money into hiring lawyers or into hiring a CFO or an accountant, but they don't think about that senior level advisor that they need on the HR side. And so the first HR or pseudo-HR hire they have is usually somebody fairly junior, It's either an admin or office manager that's sort of promoted to HR, learning as they go, or it's a junior recruiter when they get to the point where they've got critical mass of hires that a staffing agency isn't the right fit for anymore, or they realize cost-wise it's better to bring in a junior recruiter. So that's one of the biggest mistakes, is not thinking strategically from the very beginning. And then for um, startups, but also for high-growth companies, we see a lack of strategy all the time. And part of that is because we are so, right now in the business world, we are so lured by tools and technology. So, for example, in the HR space right now, there are so many amazing uh, cloud-based SaaS-based software and systems that can help you automate your HR processes, which is great. Um, We've needed that um, ever since applicant tracking systems were invented, you know, 15, 20 years ago to automate HR. That's fantastic. The challenge is what happens is a lot of these companies will sort of glom onto a product and say, oh, video interviewing, that's cool, we should do that. And they adopt tool or technology without thinking about strategy, without thinking about how to use that video interviewing. What are they trying to accomplish? What's it saving them cost-wise? How is it helping to better their process beyond the basics of maybe saving airplane time or making it easier to schedule? Um, So that's the strategy piece is the second big mistake that we make. You know, what exactly are you trying to do and accomplish talent-wise? And then you can figure out what tools and technology are right to help you achieve those goals.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of companies make that mistake of really looking at, the tool has the most important thing instead of, you know, what is it you're trying to accomplish? What is the process you're trying to do? And once you have that clearly defined, usually the tools are pretty easy to find. Um, and even if you're not even running the best tool, uh, it, it's amazing how you, you can see this in sports, you can see this in even in a race car driving. I mean, it, it's one thing to have the best thing, but if you don't have the best team, you don't have the best strategy, the best, you know, uh, way in which you're going to accomplish your goal you can have the fastest car or be the fastest runner or whatever it may be, and you're not going to, to be able to be competitive you know, in whatever race you're running, whether it's the business world or, you know, in sports. Uh, Absolutely. The, yeah, I mean, people so very often just jump to that tool first. Oh, got to have Salesforce so that, you know, that we need that. We don't have any salespeople yet. We have no idea what we're selling or how we're selling it, but we need Salesforce. And we, we see that all the time. That's a pretty good point. So you know, I'm wondering, uh, yeah, for sure. as a founder of, of your company, and I'm, I hope I'm saying this right, Exacquio, is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. That's it. You got all it. right, all right. <laughs> um, on the thousandth try, I finally got it. So uh, you know, what are you most proud of you know, on a day-to-day basis with the company that you've built?
2: So we are the only consulting firm that takes companies and pull, takes them all the way through and pulls the thread all the way through from culture to brand to talent. And What I mean by that is a lot of companies get to the point where they're siloing those things. You have a founder that develops the culture, um, and he or she may create a set of values, put them up on the wall, and then HR is responsible for putting the brand um, out there and making sure they hire to that. What we do is we pull it all the way through. And so we've invented something called work rules to help create this foundation. And I'm really proud of this because it's revolutionized the way that companies think about culture. So if you think about any, you know, any company out there from Zappos to Container Store to Ritz-Carlton, they all have a set of values or mores that they follow. And, you know, Zappos in particular has been written about so much um, along with Netflix and HubSpot in terms of these value manifestos that they have. But the challenge with that is most people don't think about how those values manifest themselves every day in the workplace. So what we'll do with our clients from the very beginning um, is help them not only rethink their values or help them create values if they don't have them, but teach them how to absolutely define and demonstrate what it means. And I'll give you an example. So let's say you're a company that values customer service, and you have some sort of value in your list of values on the wall that refers to the way that you treat customers or clients. Well, that's great. Um, And it's a great foundation. The challenge is that customer service, when it comes to brand and hiring, means something different to everyone. So, for example, um, when you think about your your value of customer service, are you following the Ritz-Carlton model where customer service means that your employees are are empowered to deliver exceptional customer service, to build deep relationships, and they have autonomy in doing so? Or is it the Walmart model of customer service where people are essentially, um, you know, their employees are essentially driven to provide good customer service, you know, a warm and friendly feeling, and very efficiently serve customers at a very high volume. You're not developing those deep, deep relationships. So two models of customer service, and that means those are two different kinds of profiles you're going to hire. And so we think about hiring, you know, you're having a conversation with a candidate and you're asking them, tell me about a time you deliver great customer service. If your value is really the Ritz-Carlton, about the Ritz-Carlton model, and someone's example of customer service is the Walmart model, they're not going to perform well or be happy in your organization. So with work rules, we help companies define really clearly what success looks like, what culture fit looks like. Instead of just saying, here are the behaviors that we're looking for, which is such a hot thing that we talk about behavioral interviewing, we take it a step further and help them define what those work rules are. And the beauty of that is then you can be really transparent with candidates and say, look, this is what great behavior looks like in our organization. We talk about these values, these behaviors, this is exactly what this looks like in practice. And candidates can then better self-select themselves in or out. They can say, oh, you know what? I actually much prefer customer service when I can do it on a volume basis. You know, I don't have the patience to develop deep customer relationships. Um, and so it, it really rethinks the entire thread of culture, employer, brand, and talent. And, and that's what we're really proud of in terms of what we're pioneering here.
1: So, you know, I'm wondering with, with, Everything that you're, you, you seem to have a very good grasp of, and and things within most entrepreneurs have to kind of wear a lot of different hats and and be good at a lot of different things in order for their companies to be successful, especially in the beginning. So I was wondering if there was a specific skill or technique that you feel really contributes to your role now, but was something you had to work on over time? It wasn't something you were you were good at to start with? Uh, do you have an example like that?
2: Yeah, so I always, when, when anybody asks me to, you know, tell me about yourself or describe who you are, I always start out by saying that I sit at the intersection of where business meets behavior. And I've spent my entire career and my educational learning career, if you will, too, um sitting at that intersection. So I did a master's degree in human resource development, but then I also have an MBA. And for me, what I think helps most with clients and why they come back and hire us again and again is that I have this ability and my team has this ability to balance business needs versus behavior. So, you know, it's one thing to say, yes, I want to grow a company. And we've clients all the time and say, oh, I want to grow a company with a really cool culture. But what's the revenue implication of that? What's the commercial um, or economic implication of that? You can't just build a cool culture. You have to do it because you want to drive employee engagement or you want to decrease turnover. So, we're always balancing both hats. We can dig really deeply in human behavior and understand why people are who they are, but we also can then tie it back to the bottom line of the business and understand that recruiting in its purest sense is a supply chain, but the people that are going through the process are humans. One of the the things that we developed in order to sort of drive that human, human behavior, if you will, is to help people understand this concept of what we call the whole self. And so one of the research techniques that we use is, you know, we've, we've got a ton of data, we all do, about people we work with, right? We know the source of hire. We know their performance data. We know potentially demographic, in particular demographic data about them. But we don't know anything else about them. We don't know who they are as people. So one of the skills that we've developed among our team is to gather data about the whole self. So when we do this research, we gather not only that work data, that's one of the four cornerstones we look at, but we also look at relationships. Who are the people that affect employees' lives on a regular basis in and out of work? We look at internal self. What do employees value? What is really important to them as a person? And then we look at external stuff, what we call, um, what we, how we define essentially where people get their energy from outside of work. And so having that lens, being able to look at the whole person and show people why that matters, how that connects to the business is a huge advantage for us when it comes to consulting with clients
1: so and maybe I missed it was was there a, a certain specific skill for you that you felt like you had to really work on to, you know to that maybe was a weakness for you in the beginning
2: for me it was marrying those two things so not mm, a okay. skill in the purest sense right whether it's you know, analyzing data or giving presentations, maybe not a skill in the purest sense, but bringing those two worlds together because what you often find is you have to sit in one side, right? Most HR professionals are sitting on the sort of human behavior side of things, and then as they grow in their career, they have to shift to the business side of things, right? A CHRO is all about the bottom line. Mm-hmm. But being able to straddle both of those at the same time and show the value of both, I see. is that skill that that we've spent a lot of time on
1: okay okay so i mean one of our favorite questions to ask our guests on the show is uh you know what are you reading right now and maybe you can tell us about that book or or books
2: yeah sure um so i read a lot of fiction and nonfiction. um on the nonfiction side um i'm just about finished a book called give and take and it's by adam grant he's a professor he's the youngest tenured professor at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. He's also, um, I know him personally, he's also a a really great guy. Um, But the book is essentially looks at how we succeed based on networking. So, you know, essentially we've always focused focused on this idea that the drivers of success for most people are things like hard work and talent and luck. But his research looked into essentially how success comes from the ways that we interact with each other So it essentially looks at people who are outstanding in networking and collaboration and influence um, and has some pretty groundbreaking research to address how when you are a true giver and you give of yourself, how that can really drive your own personal success. Um, And there's some fascinating stories and data there about what he calls some of the most famous, famous givers. One of my favorite tidbits from the book is, he talks about um, how they were able to correlate business success with the size of a CEO picture in an annual report. So you might see people, see someone like Ken Lay at Enron, who before the fall of Enron, everybody would have said, wow, this guy is is a complete success. And when you open the annual report of Enron before they collapsed, Ken Lay's picture took up the entire page of the annual report, and then the firm collapsed. And contrast that with companies where the CEO picture is just a thumbnail. They actually found higher rates of uh, success in those companies. So this whole idea that there's CEOs that are more giving and more focused on the business than the ego that comes with, with being a CEO. So that's just one of the really interesting tidbits in the book.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that is fascinating. You know, definitely want to check that book out. Well, we're, we're just now about out of time. I really appreciate you being on the program with us and hope that uh, you can come back and give us an update uh, somewhere down the, the line in the future. And uh, Thank you. Before we, I
2: appreciate that. Yeah,
1: before we go, uh, please let us uh, those people listening uh, know how they can get a hold of you or find out more about your company, um, Exacquio. Absolutely. So we are just
2: at Exacquio.com, which is e x a. Q-U-E-O dot com. I am also on Twitter at Susan Lamont, um, S-U-S-A-N-L-A-M-O-T-T-E. We answer, I personally answer every single um, contact inquiry that we get through our website. Um, and people can also just email me directly, Susan at exequio.com. We're really passionate and, and we geek out and we talk about culture, brand, and talent. But we're always happy to engage in those conversations.
1: Susan, again, thank you for being our guest today. You were uh, really informative, and I think we, those people listening really, uh, learned a lot today. It was uh, definitely a pleasure having you.
2: Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.
1: John Hall is coming up next after this quick commercial break.
3: When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret
0: And let's give a quick shout-out to our sponsor for Talent Talk Radio Show. That's People G2, a company founded in 2001 that's dedicated to helping clients with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving them access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and so much more. People G2 recently named one of the best places to work right here in Orange County, as well as one of the fastest-growing Privately held companies, by the Orange County Business Journal, they were also recognized recently in the Inc. 5,000 list of fastest-growing privately owned public or privately owned companies nationwide. Learn more. It's pretty simple. Just visit their website at www.peopleg2.com. That's peopleg2.com, or you can follow them on Facebook at peopleg2, or their Twitter handle is at People G2. You owe yourself to find out more about our sponsor, People G2. And now back to Chris and his next guest.
1: Welcome back to Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show or listen to past shows by visiting octalkradio.net and clicking on the Shows tab and, of course, clicking on Talent Talk. Uh, and the time that we've existed, we've already massed a huge following. We mentioned uh, over 14,000 listeners every week to the podcast, so thank you, everyone. My next guest is John Hall, CEO of Influence & Company. Don't forget to tweet your questions live right now for John by sending them to peopleg 2 hashtag talent top. So, uh, John, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. John and I met at the Inc. 5000 conference in uh, Washington, D.C., And I know we've talked a few times since, and uh, uh, glad to finally have you on the show. It's good to be here. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, of course, a little bit about your background and your company, influencing company.
4: Sure, absolutely. Um, I am the CEO of an influencing company. Um, We are a company that specializes in working with key employees at companies. So anyone ranging from a director or VP to a CEO who wants to be positioned as kind of a thought leader or showcase their expertise as a leader in the field or the uh, industry. And so what we do is um, we go in there and actually um, develop a process and create basically um, kind of, a, we, we put a team on them so that they can actually create high quality content coming from them, even though they're very, very busy. And so um, we'll go in and we'll basically get information coming from them. So we have a process where we'll develop questions, topic ideas, and they a stream of content to answer it. And we'll develop the content and end up getting it placed to reach their target audience. And then we'll also connect it to their inbound strategy, of uh, you know, like, what are you doing with this content? So, are you doing are you doing its nurture release, get top talent, but um, overall, um, we kind of specialize in this this very niche field of creating quality content for companies.
1: So, I mean, just last month, your company was recognized by Forbes as one of the kind of most promising companies, and congratulations on that honor. Um, how, how do you how do you feel? Or how did, how, I should say, how did that feel to be recognized on such a prestigious list?
4: Uh, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, one of the things is that this company was, uh, honestly, we didn't expect it to be as uh, crazy successful as it ended up being, is that uh, this was just started because we saw a need and that there was a lot of uh, craft content out there, uh, people wanted to share their expertise, they didn't have time. Um and we we just kinda actually started it with just a few companies as a kind of test thing to see if it would work and it ended up working out well and so um you know two and a half years later to see it recognized by Ford as a uh, most promising company kind of made it feel good that one, you know, we've had some success but then also we're actually selling a need that will continuously be a need. And uh, so it was kind of a, a I mean it was a pat on the back obviously but it was also Something to mo- motivate us to keep going. So it was a uh, it was a huge honor for
1: us. And well, there's certainly there's PR and there's you know lots of different ways people can get attention. But you know obviously you guys must be doing something a little bit different. So what is it you think that sets your company apart that's been helping you continue move moving forward in such a successful path?
4: Sure. Um, really, like I mean, we don't even put ourselves in the, the PR like uh, as a PR company. A lot of PR companies have hired us uh, in the past, and so. We we consider ourselves as kind of, it's almost like a a new version of it, but it's kind of a combination of PR and content marketing um, together. uh, I would say um, the, the huge difference is that we're always focused on getting high quality content coming from you. So it's different from getting a mention or a quote somewhere, it's more about we want you to be able to communicate to your target audience and we also want you to build a platform. Uh, The way things are going is that um, PR, honestly the way I feel things are, you can't rely on a media outlet to draw attention to you anymore. Uh, There's a contributor model, there's you're showing up on the back page with a press release, there just aren't those, it's not the same PR world. And so you have to basically come up with a way where, hey, there's a lot of noise. How do we actually build a platform, communicate to the right audience, and have, basically have control over, uh, you know, what information gets out there and at the same time educate, add value to the audience? And so that's why we specialize in, in the actual content creation coming from the client because there's so much you can do with that and you're actually educating them consistently, educating your audience consistently, rather than, hey, I mentioned here, or a quote, you're actually you're adding value to them so that you're staying top of mind at the same time as that people see you leading the way. And that's uh, the beauty of kind of, I mean, you, you know, this is the HR realm, or this is around round of HR realm here where people want to be positioned in, as the industry leader because that's how you get top talent is that people say this is a company that's leading the way, this is the innovative company, um, you know, Google and Facebook, they don't have problems getting talent when, um, you know, a, a huge goal of a company should be positioned themselves as a leader and, and getting content coming from you is one of the best ways to kind of position and educate people so they're naturally looking at you as that trusted source for information.
1: I think that it's probably fair to say that as your company now is growing and you're having the success that you're going to have some very specific talent needs internally. So what types of talented individuals do you look for or have you been looking for to join your company?
4: I'm um, really like, it. I mean, we... Uh, One, for like kind of entry level talent, uh, our office is right next to the University of Missouri Journalism School, so we're very fortunate that entry level talent um, and kind of interns and things like that, uh, we're able to get some really good talent and we have kind of a process uh, we're fortunate to have with uh, one of the best journalism schools in the country, but for, uh, for other talent, um, really it's people that, um, it's kind of, I guess you could say the type of people are people that have experience with overall understanding the branding of the company, but also are very strong in content. So this, again, one from somebody that's been a writer in the past that understands branding to somebody that truly like, you know, what they, they used to work with Fast Company or Forbes or some place like that. Um, you know, when you look at the skills that we're looking for, and we're looking for obviously hardworking people, but also people that get how to, um, you know, look at content, know what uh, the audience is going to react to. And so it's remarkable, actually, I mean, we get a lot of our talent uh, drinking our own Kool-Aid. A lot of our best VPs have come from when we do create content and get it out there, uh, they naturally are attracted to us. And the way we do our kind of talent recruitment is that we use content to actually um, test and see how interested they're in the company. So when Uh, they're applying, we'll send them an article or we'll ask them what articles have you recently read and if there's no answer, we can actually track, you know, hosting content on our site. They can see that they're not you know, educating themselves and reading our own content. They're not going to be a great uh, fit for us and so that's where, um, you know, we want people that are hungry that are willing to learn but have, you know, really good content backgrounds.
1: Well, that's a good little tool you've developed there with being able to kind of track that content and see what what people are really doing with it as far as your applicants go. Uh, that's a good little barometer of, you know, where they're going to be in the company. At least, you know, they. Yeah. I, at least are they going to be excited about what they're doing? Are they going to be the kind of person who's going to like what they're doing? Well, or not, they're going to do it well. There's other factors you have to consider, but at least if they're interested, they're not just sending you their resume because they need a job and they want you to give them money, right? <laughs>
4: right exactly and we have, the way I look at it like people spend so much time getting leads in the door and sales and all of their, and it's it so many resources towards that when when you think about nurturing leads I mean obviously that's valuable the company will go under but when you think about getting the right talent on board why aren't you spending the, uh, more resources on that where like for example uh, Paul Roacher is a guy I just actually wrote uh, he owns PR 2020 and it's actually that process that I just explained I actually got it from him Um, where, um, when you think about that, you would nurture a lead in the same way. So like, think about it. It's like, okay, you're interested in my company. Well, here's some information. Let me educate you on what we do and we'll get you in kind of a, some sort of a funnel where you're consistently being educated. Well, you should be the same way. About a talent, or about a potential talent. Like, once they get interested, you know, send them some content. Like, are they interacting? You can track it these days. You can see what links they click on. You can see time on site. You can see all this. And so once we gather their information, you can really track and see not just if they care, but what they clicked on and what they were naturally drawn to. And so if they spend a certain amount of time on different sites or reading certain types of content or articles that you read, you know where their true interest is and you have a better idea about them as a person. And so that's just, uh, it's worked out really well and um, it's a way to use content in a unique way where you can get more uh, top talent.
1: And I know you do a lot of speaking at conferences and events, so are there one or two key points that you, you know, usually want to get across to any group that you're speaking to that something that you know that they'll take away, you know, after they've really, you know, had an opportunity to kind of hear what you've had to say? I mean, is there generally kind of those one or two things that you're you're, you're looking to make sure people walk out the door with?
4: Sure. Um, I mean, it's, I think about it right. I mean, typically I'm covering, um, you know, how you actually create the right types of content, how to surround your company with it. Um, but I, I honestly, the least one thing that I end almost every speech with is that, no matter what, whether it be getting the right talent, no matter whether it be sales, no matter what partnerships, it's, it, one of the best ways to improve all these areas is by truly being helpful in your industry. So being someone, you know, providing introductions, uh, drawing attention. Like, for example, when I write, I love covering people that are doing some great things in our industry, even if they are a competitor. And I look at finding the right fits for people, and, and that's something that people don't often think about um, is that they want, like, at the beginning when I started, the when we started the company, I would take on any client. I don't care if they were a good fit or not. I was just like, hey, I'm just happy you will spend money. But now, I mean, that we're an established company, it's unbelievable that... Some people aren't the right fit, but maybe somebody who's not, who's in the area who might be a competitor of some sort, but is better in a certain area, you know, we'll intro them to to that person or that company. And so one of the the big things that I always do when I'm speaking, I I end on this, uh, it's kind of a exercise where I uh, I throw stuff in the crowd all the time. Uh, I throw footballs and stuff, and then I reward because I'm really big on rewarding for engagement. Um, and what I do is I, I throw a football into the crowd, and, and it has an iTunes gift card with it. But I make sure I throw it to someone who I knew doesn't use iTunes. And I ask them, I said, what is the best thing that you can do right now with that football? And it's like 70% of the time or 80% of the time, somebody will say, hey, who, who uses iTunes? And they'll throw it to someone who uses it. And it's, it's, so, it's remarkable how easy that is where people say, hey, this isn't valuable, I don't use iTunes. But I can basically, I can find someone who who is a good fit for, and this is going to be really valuable to them and to you. And so if we're, if that exercise works so much of the time, why don't we do that consistently in everyday life? It's because, you know, we're selfish in different ways, or, you know, we just don't think about it, where I always try to leave people with, hey, no matter what, people are going to respect you more as an industry leader if you actually care about their well-being and you're going to do anything you can to help them oh,
1: That's a great little example. Uh, I'm sure there's some people out there would love, love to steal that idea. That, that's, that's certainly a good one if you can get people, to, the audience, to prove your point for you. I mean, that's fantastic. So, you know, I know as...
4: Yeah, you, you got to make sure you have a good arm because if, if I accidentally dump the s then it's, like, yeah. uh, it's pretty embarrassing when it doesn't make the first row of chairs.
1: Yeah, you better hope all your Android users are on in the back of the audience. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, from your position as a top executive of your company, what do you feel are the most important things you want you know within your organization for people to know about success and kind of utilizing their own personal talents to the fullest? I mean I a lot of our people that l- listen to this show are always looking for ways to get the talent they already have to to really look inside to to find a way to to develop more to use the their strengths in a, in a more positive way or more aggressively and to even push away stuff they know they're not going to be good at, right? So to really kind of um, be more introspective and, and do that in a way that's going to make the company succeed. So do you have any kind of tips and tricks on how you guys do that?
4: Yeah, I mean, we, we have a fairly unique uh, culture. I mean, it's very, very horizontal where, like, for example, I mean, you said I'm the top executive. It's it's not exactly looked at as the top executive. For external uses, yes, I'm the top executive that does a larger partnership, that deals with a lot of the bigger picture things. Uh, however, from an internal standpoint, uh, the way uh, Kelsey is uh, my amazing co-founder, the way that we try to build a company is that, as a as a um, boss or, a, a support, or as a leader in that way, you shouldn't be the uh, – just, we just don't like the authoritative, you have to do this, or whatever, you're fired. Uh, what we like is that we call them basically direct supports where we're there to make you better, and it's our goal to to be that resource for you so that we're not saying, hey, you have to do this, we're, you have to do this. We're saying we're working on these together, and how can we support you to basically to, to obtain the goals? And so let's set them. And so it's very unique where we empower our employees a lot, and it's it's remarkable how it, we don't we really have to show a bunch of authority because we try to support them in ways that brings the best out of them. For example, like it's really big to me that they look at I I, I actually got roasted a few months ago in a uh, in one of our company events. And and we do things like that to make kind of the internal staff know that, hey, like the CEO, even though he's got the title of it, you know, he's here to support and just be like, I I mean, you guys are all equally as important as even his role. I would say that works out really well for us. We have a, a, a very, very good team atmosphere and also. Uh, performance is pretty much never an issue because the people, or our employees, are always supported in the way they need to. And if they don't, and we set goals together, and they don't together, and they don't meet them, then we we have to get rid of them because these are things we're setting together, we're supporting, we're, we're doing everything we can. You're just probably not a good fit.
1: Right. Well, that's a great way to look at it, and certainly, uh one uh, certainly a way that people could reproduce in their own company and looking at things and. Maybe be hard for taking an established existing company and trying to change it over, but anyone is listening who's thinking about starting a company, it's a great perspective or a great way to think about maybe running your company and how you do your internal you know hierarchy and how you everyone is viewed like you said more of a horizontal way as opposed to. You know that traditional, more vertical or you know hierarchy type of a system.
4: Yeah, what I would say is that what's important is it's the mind. Like, so I worked in a place where it was very authoritative, very vertical. Where I saw a different. I mean, it's really just management structure of like, are, do you want to be the the boss? Like, it's not it's not your your best friends with them in any way. It's more. I'm not going out drinking with my coworkers. Like, like that's the opposite of what I want to kind of portray. It's more. Instead of saying, hey, I'm your boss, you're going to do whatever I say, it's working with them to be a more support, a direct support of what we call, rather than a boss. And so you can do that at the vertical um, area. And what happens, what's remarkable is that, so Kelsey is our co founder, who's 20, she's like 25 years old. And everybody respects her so much. They respect her authority, and she really never has to show it. She's that supportive and that smart where if you're an intelligent person and you're supporting your your employees the way you should, the authority is going to be there, and that can happen in a vertical or horizontal structure.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like you've changed as a leader over time? And if if so, what do you think brought about those changes?
4: I mean, yeah. I mean, specifically, well, I would say, Those, I mean, I I came from an atmosphere where uh, it was, I I thought that you had to show authority. I mean, it was very unique. I mean, it was like, uh, I remember my boss had to carry their luggage everywhere because they were looked at as a more important person than me. And I hated that feeling as an employee. It was something that bothered me. And so when we started doing things here, I mean, I make an effort to, uh, you know, like, here's a good example that we, in our office, we were the last two that got to pick. And so we showed the uh, an atmosphere of, hey, like, you know, we appreciate everything that you got to do for us, so we think that you guys should get the pick before us. Well, you know, it's not just because we founded the company doesn't mean that we weren't held at every single thing we want. We really appreciate what you got to do for us. So uh, that's definitely changed. I mean, I would say that I was very egocentric when I was younger. Um, I was very credit and drawing attention to myself. And things like that were a big thing where I thought that you had to do that to make yourself look better. But what kind of changed is, like, one, the atmosphere I was in, but also it was just, like, I thought about, like, I don't want to be the person that, I don't want to be the person that people have to work with. I want to be the people that everybody wants me on their team. They want me because I'm very good and I'm going to be effective. And whoever, whatever team I'm on, I'm going to make better. And that is very different than how I used to be. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And, and you know, my next question, you're, you're kind of talking a, a, about the process here, or maybe would be a very specific thing, which is, you know, we like to ask our guests that there was a specific skill or technique that really contributes to the role now that they had to work on, you know, to be good at. Uh, it sounds like maybe making that change from the, the authoritative type of a situation or the, you know, more egocentric or look at me, look at me type of a, Thing that we all do when we're young, right? Right. And having to switch that over. But maybe that's not it. Maybe there's something else, too. I don't want to fill in your answer here that, you know, we've had people say, well, you know, I wasn't very good at replying to emails or I wasn't very good at picking up the phone and having that tough conversation. I mean, you know, but it was something that was really important for them to, to master. Is there anything like that for you?
4: Sure. Um, I would say one that really comes is transparency. So, uh, and that's something that's changed also is that I used to not be as transparent. I mean, obviously, you have to be somewhat careful with transparency, especially in the HR realm. Where you can't be right. completely transparent. But at the same time, um, with like, I'm really big on relationship building, and that that's kind of the, the main thing that I, I would say. Like, my biggest strength that I bring to the company is that I like being transparent with people. I like finding out what's valuable to them. I like knowing what I can do to help them. I like different things, and, and that's a big part of relationship building. And whether it be your employee a partner, a client, if you kind of follow those things where, you know, you, I mean, we're really big on treating people. well. Where if you in, um, in any way, or if a client in any way treats one of my employees bad, I will get on the phone and fire them on the spot. I don't care how big a client they are. It, like we're all about relationships and that goes vice versa. It doesn't mean just that we're going to treat them well and we're going to do things to be helpful and, and add value for the client as a partner and employee. But at the same time, you, you we want that in return. And so I would say that overall relationship building is something that, that I've really kind of honed in on after, I mean, a lot of years in business. And now I look at um, that's probably one of the main things I bring to the, the company just because I think it, it spreads throughout. And overall, people, it helps the company because my employees see that and then that passes on to how they deal with clients, partners, and other relationships.
1: Well, we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure we ask you one of our favorite questions to ask our guests, and that is, what are you reading right now?
4: Um, I'm actually not reading a book right now. Um, something that in the world that I'm in right now is that I'm consistently reading articles online. I'm consistently reading ebooks, I'm consistently reading, so I use, like, Zeit, for example, or Pulse. I've looked at, like, I've kind of looked at the ROI on me reading books, compared to me reading articles through pulse insight and I get more of a return on my time reading and I'm actually staying very, very up to date on what's going on in our industry. What are trends happening? What recent news, how does it affect our company? How does it affect our clients? And you don't get that as much out of books. So what I do is that every um, uh, time I go on a vacation or take a break, that's when I get the time to read a book. And right now, like i actually, uh, my next vacation is probably in a, a month or so. But uh, I would, ironically, Why We Get Fat is on my list. It's a book about actually uh, a kind of a science study on taking care of your body rather than different weight loss well programs. It's more a scientific uh, way of looking at things. So as ironic as that is, I would say that honestly is the one I'll be reading next vacation. But typically I get a lot of the knowledge that I kind of get to stay on top of things through... Zite, Pulse, and, you know, HBR, and LinkedIn.
1: You said it was, that, like that, that site was Zite? Zite, Z-I-T-E. Z-I-T-E, okay, great.
4: Yeah, or, or Pulse. Like, those are, they're great. They're basically content aggregators that learn what you like. So you basically rate the content, and it will, it will actually learn through an algorithm. And then the things that will start showing up are pretty much stuff that you're almost always interested in. And so that's what I love about it is that I'm interested in, you know, the social area, the marketing area, the PR area, all those areas. And so I get kind of all of it in one area.
1: So, John, what's the best way for people to find out more about your company if they're interested?
4: Um, For me, I mean, I try to make myself as easily reach. I mean, I I know it's crazy to give your email out, but I don't mind it. I try to get quick responses uh, so people know that I'm someone engaged and I care about them reaching out. So, I mean, my email is john at influencingco.com. Um, uh, so I would say that that's the first thing. If there's anything my like company or I can help you out with, that's the best place to reach me uh, at. Or you can follow, um, I mean, my Twitter is tweet John Hall, and my uh, Forbes column, if you just type in John Hall Forbes or uh, John Hall LinkedIn, um, you'll be able to find my columns for LinkedIn and Forbes. And uh, those are, I mean, it's pretty easy to contact me. I try to be as available as I can. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's way to contact me probably through
1: email. Well, John, thank you again so much for being our guest today. We'd love to have you come back at some point and give us an update on how you're doing. And, uh, of course, I know oh, yeah, I'm no. sure I'll see you at a conference here uh, at some point. We'll run into each other. I don't know if you're going to GroCo or not. I'll probably, I will be there. Uh,
4: no, I don't, yeah, I I'll actually be at um, I'm speaking at Underground, and then I'll be in speaking at MIT, and then I go to South by Southwest. So um, it's a busy three weeks for me. Busy weeks. <laughs> so, hopefully you're you're a really good guy, and I uh, always like talking and catching up with you. So uh, never hesitate to reach out, and hopefully uh, I might be a good co found If I'm not, um, no matter what. We'll, uh, we'll make an effort to connect in the next uh, couple
1: months. Sounds good. Well, that's about all the time we have today. Thank you again to my special guests Susan Strayer Lamont and John Hall. Tune in next week at the same time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, for Talent Talk, brought to you by People G2. Next week we will have R.J. Nicolosi, partner of, of uh, Partner for Inc., CEO Project, and also Eric Peterson, the senior consultant of Cook Ross Inc. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.
0: you've been listening to talent talk radio show brought to you by people g2 dedicated to helping clients with their people related decisions